Mambo vipi? What's happening? My name is Aniko Owoko and I am a lover of art, culture and everything African. And here we grant you front row access to your favorite celebrities, creators, the biggest personalities and industry experts. Come with me. You're now a VIP. Hello, my name is Aniko Owoko and this is VIP Access and this is officially our very first pop-up event and live recording. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so excited. I've been planning this the whole freaking year. I started planning this, I think, in July and I want to thank the Australian High Commission for supporting me 100%. As a matter of fact, they're supporting VIP Access upcoming season. Yeah. Are you guys excited about that? I am excited about that. I also want to send a special shout out to this venue, Bia District. Thank you so much for hosting us for a very fast live recording and event. I also want to send a special shout out to the most important people, you, the VIPs. Everyone. Yeah, clap for yourselves. Everyone who's here right now with us, you are very special to me. You're very special to the industry because you care about arts and culture, you care about music, you care about the creative sector. That is what VAP Access Podcast is about. So today is a celebration of our industry. It is a spotlight on women especially. We want to talk about the role of women in the music industry. We also want to give a spotlight to hip-hop because hip-hop celebrated 50 years um, this year. And a big question is when hip-hop is celebrating 50 years and they're having all these events, where are the female voices? I'm a music curator and I'm very disturbed by every time going out to playlists, especially hip-hop playlists. I'm going to give you guys an an assignment and go and count the number of females in hip-hop playlists. It's always like 5, 10 out of a playlist that has 100 artists. So I think it is my role... It is your role and it is all our role as an industry to be very conscious about spotlighting women and also giving them their rightful space, their rightful placement. And without further ado, I want to introduce my very first guest at this live recording. Her name is Tala Wangeshi. She's killing the game when it comes to PR writing. She's an excellent writer. She writes for the likes of Rolling Stone. She'll tell us more about it. And it's an honor for me to sit here with you, sis. Thank you so much. What's up? What's up? What's up? It's also an honor for me sitting across you. These are things that I used to dream of when I was like, what, 17, 18. So it's such a super honor being here. I'm a writer. I'm a journalist by profession. I do PR also. I'm diving into publishing at the moment because it's really interesting how so many people don't know what publishing is. I didn't know what publishing is until two years ago. So I'm like, if I know what distribution is, let me also change the game with publishing because it's currently happening with writing. And I feel like the more information our artists have, the more people will want to involve themselves in the industry, not only as artists, but also as the backend people. Because you get 100% of people want to be artists, but when you ask someone, do you want to do PR? They're like, what's that? Do you want to in publishing, what's publishing. So I feel like the knowledge is really, really important. And it doesn't matter. Just stretch your hands and touch everything. Because I also want to be a DJ and a producer next year. So I'm like, I'm signing but up I also want to be a DJ. Yes. I'm going to go to Santuri. That's the same, same thing I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah, so I'm super honored to be here. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you for, you know, honoring the request for you to come here and have this conversation with me about unpacking VIP Access podcast platform. What is this podcast about? What have we done? Where are we going? But before we get into that, one thing I'm conscious about when I'm speaking to the guests who come on the podcast is to break down everything because I feel like for those who are experienced in the industry like you are and I am, we think PR is mainstream, publishing is mainstream. Everybody knows what a manager should do. But we sometimes forget that every single day there's like a new artist who's just starting today. So the information might have been out there, but maybe the person listening hasn't heard. So I figured that we have to keep repeating the same things, drilling, 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 and hopefully a new person is listening and learning. And this thing you talked about publishing is a very important thing. And I noticed a lot of people think that a publicist is a publisher. And many times people were like, Aniko is a publisher. I'm like, nah, that's not what I do. So if you could just break it down, what is publishing? So basically, it's the collection of royalties. There are different types of publishing. And in Kenya, we have bodies that are in charge of publishing camp. So basically, publishing is a collection of your royalties, not only from streaming platforms, but across anywhere where your song is. I recently read Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You was actually Dolly Patton's. So anytime that song is played in any platform, both Whitney and Dolly Parton earn rights. And that's what people don't know. We are having the rights of the Amberton, which is the sampling of the dance hall songs. You see, artists have not cleared that song for. So if Vibes Cartel comes here right now and wants to sue you, he will sue you because you didn't put him up on the publishing, please. Yeah. And if we could just bring it back to VIP access. I mean, the platform has been there from 2018, but the audiovisual platform was initiated in 2021. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to listen to the podcast? Do you have any sentiments? Personally, I really love the podcast. I love it so much. And it's because I admire your work. But I love the growth that the podcast has taken from being eight minutes long, nine minutes long. Right now it's 40 minutes, 30 minutes. So you actually get more information as compared to before. I also like the branding of how it is, the whole message that it's pushing and it's being syndicated on Nation FM. That's actually something that's an achievement. So I don't have any corrections. I just have congratulations for you because the podcasting space is really new. I used to podcast in 2018, 2019, a lifestyle podcast. And when you see the growth right now, to the point that even radio stations want a podcast, it means that it's something that's growing, something that's going to take over traditional media, which is radio. Yeah. I like what you said, because when I first had my second season in 2021, I actually tried to pitch it to all the same people supporting now. I pitched it to some DSPs. I pitched it to radio. And it wasn't there yet. Like a podcast that is like six minutes or seven minutes, really. I don't know where it falls in, on radio because the whole concept of radio is to listen to an interview and play the music. So I first needed to have like a longer format. Mm -hmm. And so I took all the feedback and I was like, okay, I'm going to take my time and produce something that might maybe be able to work for radio. It, you know, it took me a lot of years because between 2021 and 2023 is like two whole years of working, you know, trying to strategize, rebrand, just reformat, working with new co-producers and 
the new format you know, was luckily able to get on Nation FM. And as a matter of fact, the podcast is also syndicated on a Ghanaian TV station. It's called MX24 TV. Every Tuesday is at 3 p.m. There's a rerun on Saturday at 5 p.m. So I'm so happy to see the dream to spotlight Kenyan artists and African artists. I love to see that dream being received well, especially by traditional media, because I understand that podcasting space is fairly new. A lot of people are still not listening to podcasts. So if a podcast jumps onto a traditional media platform, that only gives more value, especially to us storytellers. The most important thing is for somebody to hear the story that we are telling, whether it's in writing, whether it's in podcasting, whatever other format, even musicians, they sing stories. They want people to listen to that. So for me, that's the biggest achievement, or I will say biggest highlight of my podcasting is for the radio station and the TV station all the way in Ghana to reach out and say, we want to put your podcast on our TV channel. And not just for me, but for what it's doing for the cross-pollination of African content, African culture, you know, music. We are all born, you know, we always ask, why are the West Africans like this? And why are Tanzanians like this? But in essence, we are all one. We can do what Nigerians are doing. We can do what Tanzanians are doing. I'm a big fan of K-pop. So when you watch the dance videos, these guys are actually using Rema's songs, Fave's song. And it's so interesting because of that crossover, because the Korean culture, like the Asian culture, is more of the K-pop. But then you see that into Afro stuff. It's really showing how we are crossing the borders literally. So was... Music, PR, something that you were always interested in as a child, or is it something that you in the scene as a grown-up, yeah? I didn't even know about music, PR. I think I knew about PR, but the PR I knew about growing up was traditional kind of PR. You know, corporates, working at the PR agencies, I don't know, doing what. I wasn't sure what they were doing, but everything looked very serious, very corporate. I wanted to be different things growing up, and um, I just wasn't sure what I wanted to be. But I always loved arts and culture. I always loved music. And I think sometimes what you love or what you're talented in sometimes is where you're going to end up. So if I think back, yes, I loved entertainment and music. I just didn't know it could be a career or a business, you know. So I was trying to figure out, like, how can I be an architect? That sounds cool. And then I saw the rulers. When I went to high school, I was in a national school. I'm not sure if these days they have the national schools and all these categories. Yeah, they're still there. <laughs> but there was a subject to architecture or something. And then I went once and I saw big rulers. And I was like, oh, no, this is never going to fit in my handbag. <laughs> Always fashion conscious. And then I was like, what else should I be? Then I wanted to be a lawyer. And I was like, no, nah, I don't like the news. I don't like the stories. And there's so much corruption in this country. I don't know how I'm going to navigate that. So I think from a young age, I was always very critical in the sense of what I want to do must be practical. I was willing to let go of things I wanted to do if I felt like the environment wasn't conducive for what I wanted to do. And for that reason, I you know, studied journalism, but that's the reason why, as a journalist, I saw an opportunity to join PR in entertainment and music because I saw the opportunity, you know. So it's not something I wanted to do, but it's something I saw an opportunity to do. And it's something that I saw would be valuable to me and valuable to the artist, valuable to the industry. So that's as far as it goes with the music PR, yeah. 
I like how you said that you had changes in each step, like you want to be a architect and a lawyer because growing up we are always conditioned that you need to know what you're gonna do you need to know the next step and we're always aligned that when you finish school you go to university you get a job you get married and like your life is just a circle so i like the fact that you broke that down so it brings me to the next question we are from a different generation. I'm a Gen Z. You're a different generation. What are the so, people above Gen Z, by the way? <laughs> I know. Everyone is always complaining. Who are, who are we? <laughs> okay, I'm a millennial. Yes. I take that. I take that. <laughs> so I'm wondering, podcasting is also a fairly new idea. So how did the idea come to you? How did VIP access come to be? Because, I mean, when it's a Gen Z, it's like, it's okay. Yeah, You've yeah. grown up with this. Yeah, that's a really good question because I never thought I would ever be podcasting because I saw people podcasting. I was like, that's cool. But once I left traditional media because I used to host a TV show on KBC called Grapevine, I hosted the show for eight years. Eight years is a long time to be doing the same thing. And I really loved it, but I just really craved for change. And I knew very well that when I would leave the show at KBC, I would never go back to the same thing. I just didn't want to go back to the same thing. And I was like, I think now I want to do PR. And it's still something in the media space, just not me being at the front, you know, being at the back. I just wanted to take a back seat. And when I saw podcasting happening, I was like, that's cool what people are doing. But I still never thought that this thing could be for me. Like, I just did never thought. So what happened during COVID, we all had a downtime when we all sat down and started thinking about our lives, started thinking, are there things I could be doing that I'm not doing? Are there things I've been doing that I need to shed off? So it was during the COVID time. And I must say, I was very idle. Like I was just sitting at home doing nothing. Actually, that's when I started professionally working as a music curator because I was just sitting home doing nothing and curating music. And then I got a call from some DSP people. They're like, yeah, we love your playlist. We want to hire you to be our curators. Like, okay, you're going to pay me for doing this thing I love to do? Sure thing. So that's how that work as a music curator started. And then I just thought, I've been doing all these dope interviews with artists from 2018 because I already had the VIP access platform on YouTube. But the thing is, that platform was just my platform of expression. It wasn't really having episodes every week. It was like if there's an event, if there's a dope artist, if I travel outside. So actually the format of VIP access before the podcasting was more travel and lifestyle because you can see listening parties of Young L in Nigeria. You know, I traveled to Nigeria to go and visit Nike Art Gallery, one of the biggest galleries in Nigeria housing art from West African artists. I went to Burundi to interview some artists. So I was just going off the weave, like my friend Bruce Melody called me from Rwanda. He's like, Aniko, I want to invite you. I'm launching a TV station. I was like, that's big. So I'm going to come with my camera crew. We're going to do an interview. So it was cool, you know, for the moment. But then I sat down during COVID and was like, I've traveled around the continent, shot all these dope interviews, which have 200 views or 50 views on YouTube. How do I repurpose all these dope stories and interviews into a platform that can be accessible to more audiences, more people. Because a lot of the artists, maybe it was an album listening, but they talk about way more than just that. And I feel like there's some content that I feel can sit outside, you know, that YouTube. And for instance, I also traveled to Nigeria to attend Tubaba's 20-year anniversary celebration 
And then I got there, they're like, oh, the host is late. Are you going to host our event? I was like, yeah, sure, I'm going to do it. And I was recording everything. We had an interview together. So getting a chance to interview somebody like Tubaba, it's not something everybody gets. You know, it's almost like a VIP opportunity or experience. And I had that interview. I'm like, what do I do? So everything I shoot, I keep all the footage, all of it. So I was like, what do I do with these dope interviews? And that's where the idea came to repurpose all these interviews and start the podcast which was a podcast I launched in 2021. And once I put it there, I realized I had a good intention, but I hadn't done my research as to how the podcasting works, what do people like, what's a formula, how many episodes should you release every week and stuff. So I just put out the stuff and there wasn't really a strategy or a plan. And I think it's okay because that still was going to lead me to the next step. I think one important thing that people need to know, especially those who are listening and artists and creatives, is you sometimes don't have to have the full picture. One, if you have the intention, you have the talent, you have the product, put it out and you will know what you'll do. You know, sometimes even you get feedback from a song you've released and you're like, okay, people like this sound. So let me do So that's what I did. It was very experimental. And after I put it out, that's when I started pitching to DSPs, to radios, and they started giving me feedback. So that's when I actually started learning about podcasting. And I was like, oh, my God, this is another world. And this is a lot of work. And this requires a lot of planning, requires a lot of just conceptualizing what you want to say, how you want to say, how you want to put it out, who you want to speak to. So I really had to go back to the drawing board. That's why it took me so long. And then I wasn't sure when I'm going to come back. So I actually went to Sema Box. This is a Sema Box plug. <laughs> so shout out to Sema Box. They're really dope. So I went to Sema Box actually to take a client for an interview. Sema Box is one of the biggest producers of podcasts in Nairobi, Kenya. So the founder of Sema Box is a friend of mine because he used to be a musician and I used to you know, attend a lot of his concerts. But now he's working as a founder and director at Sema Box and producing podcasts. So he actually called me in for a meeting. He was like, I would like to speak to you after this. And I was like, what have I done? And he was like, where's your podcast? And it was so funny because the podcast I released, the VIP access in 2021, I never really promoted it because I felt like I'll go hard and then someone's going to come and be like, oh, this is old content anyway. So I just was in my feelings. And he asked me, what's your podcast? And I was like, how do you know I have a podcast? And he was like, you are a Nico. Of course you have a podcast. And I was like, actually, I do. And then he looked at it and he said, why didn't I know about this podcast? And why is the last season from 2021? When is the next season? I was like, I don't know. And he was just like, why haven't you done? And I was like, okay, so I've been thinking of how to come back. And it's not been easy with the production and everything. And he was like, forget about all that. Just come to Sema Box. We'll help you with the production. You know, come with your talent and start recording your podcast. So that's how I came back. And I think it wasn't just something I did by myself. I want to say Sema Box played a big part in supporting me, at least technically, because that's another challenge a lot of people have. I think now things are changing again because I went to a Spotify workshop and somebody from Spotify was showing like what the Spotify for podcasters app. I'm actually not using that app. I'm just using something else. But she was showing that they have created an app that can easily have you podcast on your phone, right? So if you want to podcast and not have like video and stuff and you just want to start something, I think it's getting easier and easier by the day. And obviously the likes of Sema Box are also making it very easy for creators and podcasters to do what they want to do because 
having to be the creator, the podcaster, the host, the producer, the one marshalling the technical crew is just too much. I really had to get the support to move forward. And I want to say I'm here now because of the support from the Semabox people and the other team of co-producers because I do work with other people outside of Semabox. I like how there's growth in your story, moving from being like a lifestyle podcast to getting your own niche sound because there are not many music podcasts in the country. And even apart from that, we get that there's very little documentation of African music, of Kenyan music. We do not have an archive for that. So I think that's actually lovely. But you have over 50 episodes. Do you ever get tired? What are some of the challenges and the wins that you've encountered with podcasting from day one when it was just lifestyle to where it is at the moment right now? Yeah, so our 50 episodes is so amazing. Guys, clap for me. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I give it up to the podcasters who shoot like on a weekly basis. You know, some people shoot like I know mic check. They're shooting today. Like they're shooting the whole day because I invited them. They're like, Anika, we are recording the whole day. So it's a lot of work, especially if you're recording on a weekly basis. I just can't record on a weekly basis because I'm also busy running a PR agency, you know, being a mom and just living life. So I record in batches and it is a lot of work. I get tired. I'm not going to lie, but I'm happy that now I'm getting tired, just like I'm tired of the day, but not the tired that you don't want to come back to the thing because I think when I stopped in 2019, even the VIP access platform, the previous platform, I got tired of that. You know, it just got up to a place in 2019. I was just like, I need a change. And I was like, I don't want to go and just keep doing the same interviews. I don't know, standing somewhere, interviewing someone for five minutes. And then what? I think I wanted more because the previous format and also the format of TV, because I come from the traditional background of being a TV presenter. You don't have 30 minutes. I mean, the whole show is 30 minutes. So any interviews like 10 minutes or less. So I was so used to that and I was so tired of that concept because also when YouTube came on, obviously YouTube was a format for short videos. Music videos are like three minutes and if it's 10 minutes, it's already called like a short film. So it's like everything was just drilling everyone towards short form content. But I felt like I was craving for long form content, right? So I have to say that just being able to have more time to have conversations, I think give me a new life or breath of fresh air because I was just tired of doing the same thing the same way. But then the other tired is just normal. I guess everybody gets tired from whatever they do. I also try as much as possible to do what I love and sometimes feature artists I actually listen to because that makes even the interview better. I don't know, I get that question a lot and it's hard to say that I get tired or... Sometimes I don't want to do it because I always want to do this. Like, I actually always want to do this. If I'm not podcasting, I'm listening to music, I'm curating music, I'm reviewing music. This is my life. Like, if I would separate myself from this, I think I would probably die or lose my mind. And I also recently learned that my grandmother was a musician, but I never knew that. I didn't know that because she obviously is from, you know, back in the day when she became a wife. And a mother, her husband said, now you're never going to do this. You're now a mother. So we never knew she was a musician. We knew she was a church goer and, you know, just very staunch Catholic. 
And only recently, my auntie was like, you know what your granny was doing before the life you met her? She used to be a musician. So that made a lot of sense. Maybe I am so passionate at you know, what I do because it is also in my lineage. You know, I come from a lineage of musicians. And she said that her husband, my grandfather, was also like the best dancer. No, back then, I didn't know this. So I'm also in the process of trying to retrace my history. And I encourage everybody, especially Africans and Kenyans, to try and retrace our own history. What did your parents used to do? When we go to Shag, can we find someone to talk to and ask about our grannies? So it's shocking that only at the age of 36, I get to know my grandmother was a musician. So I don't really get tired. I just get tired like anyone would get tired doing anything, but I don't get tired doing this. I would do this any day, any time. So three seasons in, do you have any episode that makes you think back, reflect on it, and it's impacted you in a different way? Wow, that's a good question. Okay, I want to say it was really great interviewing Nazizi. And that's one of the reasons why she's coming here today for our live recording. And actually, it's one of the best performing episodes on the podcast. It's a short interview because it comes from the first season. It's like nine minutes. But it was so profound, just her talking about the secret to longevity and uh, just her talking about hustling, being on the streets. Because she was like, back then, there was no streaming. We used to like hook our albums and actually I also exist in the era where we used to hook albums. When we started out with Saudi Soul, hey, there was no streaming. There was like Bandcamp. Spotify wasn't even in Africa, you know, so your music would be on Spotify but you would not be able to access it. Or your music would be on Apple Podcasts but you're a 19 year old so you don't even have a card to be able to pay for your, for your Apple music. So I remember we used to sell albums physically and I used to put them in a bag. And if I went somewhere, I just look at the audience. I'm like, these people look like they're able to pay more money. And then I double the album. And I would keep the money because the record label told me, just bring us back 500 bob. So if I went to Blankets and when I'm like, oh, these white people look like they can buy it for 1,500. So I would do that. That's the hustling, right? And um, that's what Nazizi was saying. She was like, so now artists in the industry have so much working for them. So I think... That interview just brought me back into perspective. And it's the same for me, like when I travel to West Africa or Nigeria, but specifically and come back to Kenya, I'm like, it's so chill here. Like I should be producing more. Like, so if you get to understand the difficulty of those who came before us, you know, the challenges of my grandmother not being able to be a musician, the challenges of Nazizi never being able to stream her music at the height of necessary knowing. And then you ask yourself, now I'm an artist and I have all these platforms. What am I doing? For me, it gives me the drive to be like, I must use all these tools, all these things. So I think that was it for me. That's one interview. And then I saw a lot of people resonated with it because it was so short, but it's the most listened to. I don't know, maybe because she's Nazizi, but that one was the one for me. And many others, but I think we don't have the whole day. <laughs> so... Branding is essentially an important thing in ensuring the growth of different things, music, artists, and even a podcast. So what's the essence of branding when it comes to a podcast? Oh my God. The essence of branding when it comes to the podcast is everything, everything. And I only got to know that after I produced this first season and then started pitching to the DSPs and getting their feedback. 
Part of the feedback when you're pitching to DSPs for podcasting is very similar when you're pitching for music distribution. They want to see all the assets of the podcast, all the assets to mean the branding, the cover photo. They want to see the BTS photos from the interviews. They want to see all the artwork for each and every episode. And they also want to actually hear the podcast. So if you're a podcaster and you're trying to pitch your podcast to DSPs or to radio stations for syndication, you can't just be like, I have a dope podcast and trust me, it's dope. I think you also can't be like, listen to season one and two days on Spotify. No, it's like I'm pitching something to you which isn't anywhere. You have to listen to the thing. So what I had to do to get the syndication is to produce a whole season, to package a whole season and to send out the whole season to them unreleased. And I'm like, here are 18 episodes featuring the biggest artists from you know, across the continent, and they can actually go listen and be like, okay, fine, because even if you give the radio 18 episodes upfront, they'll give you a syndication because they already have it in the bag, right? But it's like if you say, oh, every week I'll be recording, what happens if you don't record every week? So for me, the content and the branding of it was everything because once you have all that content, then you need to brand it. So in terms of branding, even if you have 20 episodes, you must ask yourself, who are the 20 people in this season? What are they about? What are the conversations we are talking about? This is not a style for every podcast, but it's a style for my podcast. I think there are a lot of other podcasts, especially Kenya's Love, social commentary and comedy. You know, they just kind of talk about everything in at random. Those are not the type of podcasts I'm talking about. I'm talking about more niche podcasts, like uh, maybe a film podcast, a music podcast like this one. It's very important to look at the body of work and to kind of conceptualize this and be able to review it of in sorts. It's very similar to how we approach music PR, right? So an artist has an EP or an album. Who are the collaborators? What is this album about? What's the sequence? So I have to think all that, even the sequence of the episodes. I have to think that. So there's a thought process behind it. I don't think it's easy to realize, but there is a thought process behind it and so branding is everything yeah you need the support on your podcast and on every other thing if you're creative so if you have a music video out a song out I just want to make it this clear that you need the support you need the placement because guess how many podcasts are being produced so many when I went to the Spotify event there were like 500 podcasters and we're all sitting in a room we filled up Nairobi Street Kitchen I was like who are all these people and it was so interesting because we were exchanging contacts and stuff so there are so many podcasts which we don't even know of and they're on Spotify. So you have to stand out. And you standing out is not by virtue of having the best podcast because you're saying I have the best podcast or it's not just having the best video quality, audio quality. It's you being placed somewhere where you're easily discoverable. So for Apple Podcasts, they have a pitching tool. Anyone who's listening to this podcast and is following Aniko Owoko and Aniko TV, they can DM me. I can send you the pitching tool for Apple Podcast. Boomplay team, they're always very supportive. As a matter of fact, Martha Hura from Boomplay bought 10 tickets for guests to come to this podcast. So I'm very thankful to Martha. But also Boomplay, I reach out to them directly just the same way we pitch for artist placement. And I send them everything and I ask them to help place the podcast on the right channels. And I realized after the second season got placements, then the growth started becoming organic. I started seeing people listening from across the continent. But I believe the placements 
were key in helping the growth of the podcast. Yeah. So your podcast was syndicated in Kenya and in Ghana. Are there advantages apart from just the growth in listeners, but are there advantages that you are having at the moment? I think the advantages are for the artist. <laughs> and I think it's also an advantage to me in the sense that I work in artist promotions. I work as a promoter of the creative industry. So anything that is supporting that is an advantage to me. I think a lot of people look at opportunities only in a monetary way, but because I'm a publicist, I'm the first to know that you don't only get value by somebody giving you money or by like getting money from the streams. So for me, the syndications in Kenya and Ghana have been very advantageous towards my cause of showing artists the need to promote themselves on various platforms, showing artists that even though this is the TikTok era, you still need to plug your music on the radio station and the TV station. And I've been having a dream that I would have all these artists from Kenya or East Africa come to me or go to anyone and say, we want to promote ourselves in West Africa, you know, because it's happening there. So we have to ask ourselves, why are they so successful or what are they doing right? So there's no better way than promoting yourself there or going there. So I feel like for the podcast to be syndicated on a Ghanaian TV station is part of that agenda, you know. Someone might be watching or listening in Ghana and they might, you know, call an artist and say, yeah, we like you. Maybe we want to book you for a gig in Ghana or something. So for me, it advances my cause, my dream to keep cross-promoting content and artists across the continent. That's it for me. As we wrap up, podcasting is a growing art, not only in Kenya, but all over the world. Spotify wrapped had like 0.2 listeners when it comes to podcasts. How do you think listeners can support podcasters and ensure their growth? Yeah, so I think listeners can support podcasters by fast sharing. Sharing is very important. I'm not sure if Spotify or the other podcasting platforms share stats as to who's sharing, but YouTube is very good at that. So every week, YouTube sends analytics, and it's very, very interesting it shows you this week 50 people shared your podcast and it can even show you on what platforms, like on WhatsApp. So I think sharing is very, very important. And I also met Joy and Charlie. They're like the first guests to come in. And they're like, we are the strongest members of VIP Access. Shout out to you too. And then, yeah, thank you. And it was so sweet because they're friends and one was like, she actually introduced me. And so since I started listening, so... That's it. All we need is one person to introduce another person, one person to share another story. I think that's it. I think a lot of content creators and a lot of artists, they think big, right? They're like, I want to have a million views. I want to sell out a show. I don't know. But I think we just have to start a day at a time, a stream at a time. So for me, I'm just doing it day in, day out. Now I already have a podcast that's syndicated on radio, on TV. I have you know, episodes that are running every Tuesday morning. I have a good number of listeners. So I'm just like encouraging them to share. But I know we will get there where, I don't know, it's going to be the biggest podcast or something. But the most important thing for me is this community that I have built with the VIP access. And I've seen even the artists being so supportive. You know, they always collaborate with me. They always share. They always give me feedback and say, we love this. And so on and so forth. So yeah. 
finally, with over 50 episodes, three seasons in, my favorite episode was Cave Okay for us. Really? Yes. Oh my God, someone else said they liked Cave Okay for us. So, what are we expecting for the next season? So, I'm so, so, so excited because the next season, this season that is supported by the Australian High Commission is going to be bomb. It's the first season which is going to be female-led. This is something I've always wanted to do, but it's something I'm doing so unapologetically and so consciously this time. And I want to explain why. I think it's not enough to be a female champion or to wish women well. But it's another thing when you come to your work to be very conscious and be like, okay, I have a place on hip-hop. How many females have I added in? I have a gig I'm curating. How many females have I booked in the last six months? So I actually did that. I went and started counting the number of females who've been on my podcast. And I think the first season, um, there were four females out of nine episodes. The second season, I think there were about eight out of 18 so, yeah, and then this season is going to have about 70% females represented. But then I'm not just excited because it's just females, but they come from a very diverse background. The podcast is a music and culture podcast, so it's not just about the musicians. But on the podcast in the upcoming season, I'm going to have Jude Gashui, who is a musician. She's also one of the best when it comes to IP. I also have Wandiri Karemi. I think she's somewhere in the building. She's also a really, really dope musician, but now she's not actually playing. So when I met her, she was one of the few guitarists in Nairobi. She worked at the conservatoire as a director. Now she's planning an all-female orchestra show in March of 2024. And when I talked to her for the interview, she said there's like over 100 females performing orchestra in Nairobi. I'm like, where are they? So that's the thing. Like, there's so many dope females doing stuff, but... We don't know because we don't use our platforms and networks to uplift them, right? And there's always this conversation when it comes to play Kenyan music or play females. People start to say, but there are so many bad songs or who are the females? But it's like, instead of asking, find the good quality songs, find the dope musicians, the ladies, because I know they're there. And that's what this season is going to do. So I'm really, really, really excited. And the new season is dropping January 2024. <laughs> I love the vision of supporting women. In 2022, when I was a panelist for Boiler Room, that was one of the biggest points that I put across. I wish there were more babes in the industry who support each other and can pull you up. So we thank you for that as our forerunner, as so many people's role model. Thank you also for this session. You have taught us so much which I'm sure so many people didn't know from the pitching to the vision to branding. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to say thank you so much for the work that you've been doing. And we know you, like Aranyiko Pierre, I'm sure we've called you for certain things. We've been following your work and Camille's work as well for a long time. And I always was reading your articles and I was like, this is really dope. This Telawangeshi, and I'd never seen your face, but I was reading your articles on Rolling Stone. I think I started following you on social media and I never met you. Then I saw that you're moderating a panel on a Nairobi um, drill. I was a panelist on the drill conversation, the rights of drill in Kenya. And uh, in 2023, I was a moderator uh, speaking with Coco M on the rise of East African club music and also the role that the community 
can play in supporting alternative music in the country. Yeah. That's so amazing. And I came to see you, you know, and to follow the conversation, especially that drill edition of Boiler Room. I was like, this is so cool. So if you could also take a moment to talk about the work that you have done and you continue to do, it seems to me as if it's very conscious. You've been trying to uplift the underground. And we were talking about it now, like some people were underground like Brooklyn boys, like Wakatinali, but today they're mainstream, right? But it's because of all the work that we're all doing, and especially somebody like you. I've been a music lover ever since I was a child. I was fortunate enough to be born close to the capital city of hip-hop, Dandora. And uh, growing up with guys like Okoflani Mau Mau. What, you grew up with Okoflani? Yes. Okay. okay. Some reggae tunes, so I was really conscious. I was really conscious about what I'm taking in because I also believe music is energy. My interest in Kenyan music became bigger after I finished high school, which was in 2017. And uh, what I always say is Kenya to the world. And when I say Kenya, guys like BN are already to the world, but guys like Uncle Jingjong is to Nairobi. And uh, the moment that we give these guys more spotlight, more growth, you educate them in terms of branding. And uh, I started with a path of writing. I used to write for Ruby's blog, Ruby V, and it moved to Tangaza, highlighted Brooklyn boys on the Pan-African magazine. And I really like to brag that I was the first journalist in the country to put Brooklyn boys on a Pan-African article. Yes. And uh, recently, I got an opportunity to be a contributor to Rolling Stone, and the vision is still the same. You're just pushing these guys from being underground. Five years ago, Mandy wasn't known. Right now, Mandy is one of the biggest artists in the world. She's getting 52,000 views. Guys like Groovy Joe are currently taking over the scene, and I'm really loving it. So when you push good music outside, good music is also made in the country because guys also want to listen to what's good. They also want that spotlight. So it's really been an honor working for the Kenyan soil. I'm always saying Kenyan blood to the death of me. Yeah. Last question. You know, I have been a writer also for international platforms. I used to write for Arise. So my question to you is like when the editors would task you and say, we want you to write something, would you send some of these people and they would wonder because at the point where you are uplifting them and putting them out internationally, most of these people actually didn't have so many views. So even for me, like seeing the likes of Kinawakia, Cardinali, Brooklyn Boys on Rolling Stone, you know, put there by our own Kenyan seas, I was like, this is dope. This is what we need to do to uplift our industry. It's not like to take the A-list artists or the most popular and place them. But what was the kind of feedback from your counterparts? And I think you also write for a Nigerian publication. Native magazine. Native magazine, yes. yeah. Yes. Sometimes it's normally really hard. I'll take into case Wakadinali for the Rolling Stone MCMCA. That was actually so hard that I had to compare Munga with Wu-Tang Clan's old dirty bastard because that's the only way they'll be able to understand how great these guys are. I take it like it's just campaigning for this artist. I mean, he doesn't get 10,000 views, no, but in the country, he's really organic and there's nothing as important as pitching with an organic 
mind rather than pitching with uh they're really popular that's what's booming at the moment because if we look like things like drill guys thought it's just booming at the moment but it became a whole culture that revived the kenyan music scene so sometimes you really have to convince them and uh when it doesn't work you can always come up with an idea or a column and tell them let's support artists that are coming up and that's why you throw in the kenyans like when I was working with Native, we used to have a column called Under, and it was almost impossible getting a Kenyan there because when you listen to some of our songs and you compare to the Nigerian songs, their production is way better. So you have to tell the editor that, yo, he sound, it's, it's not good right now, but it will get there. So what matters is the convincing power because if you believe that an artist is worth it, you'll definitely know how to convince someone that you need to listen to them. Yeah, and I think that's where it starts because all the media people, all the editors are looking for most listened, most following. But how does a new artist get to that? You know, that was the biggest challenge even for me working with Saudi Soul. It's like, I know they're great, but yes, I know we have a first album. Okay, just get them on, you know. So many radio stations are like, we don't do interviews for the artists if we don't play their music. And that's why I feel like, you know, your work, my work, and the work of other publicists, PR agencies, promoters, managers, and media is very important. And the podcast is just one of those spaces where other people can also discover artists. So thank you so much, Tella, for coming through. I knew we were going to meet. I knew it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you and I hope to have you on VIP Access. Just ask. Just Please about to. Please yeah, do. Yeah, I will. Thank you so much. That's where we're wrapping off this episode. Make sure to catch VIP Access on Aniko Owoko platforms every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. This podcast is also syndicated on Nation FM every Friday mornings from 10 to 11. We're also on Ghana's MX24 TV every Tuesdays and Saturdays supporting African music to the world. Peace out.